Welcome to the Way of the Weaver podcast, where we explore magic, justice, and community. Thanks for showing up to our queer-centric, radically enchanted conversations. Our world needs your magic. I'm Jamie Wagner. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm coming to you from Muskogee land in so-called Alabama. I'm Murphy Robinson. My pronouns are they or he, and I'm coming to you from Indakana, the land of the Abenaki people, also known as Vermont. Happy solstice! Happy Yule! (laughs) Murphy, what holiday traditions did you grow up with? You know, I just had the like typical Americanized Christmas that was like, you know, had some religious references to Christianity and Jesus, but was like mostly a fairly secular affair. Um, Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, giving gifts. We had a Christmas tree. We put up lights and little, you know, angeled ornaments and candles everywhere and things like that. Um, <laughs> but you know, it was the, the, the parts of Christmas that many of them, I understand were, are really like symbols from older European pagan traditions and things like that. And Jamie, I know you've done a bunch of like research into some of the European traditions that both like predated Christmas or that sort of like arose alongside Christmas from a more like folk tradition origin. Um, yeah. and one of the interesting things you told me about that is that there's pretty good evidence just from looking at like the astrological information and the sociological information, um, the sort of context given in the Bible that Jesus was probably actually born in like the spring or summer. Um, That's right. (laughs) So why did Europe sort of select December 25th as like the time that we're going to celebrate, um, you know, this like holiday of a king being born. Like what, how did that like fit for them? <laughs> yeah. So um, actually, like you said, you're correct. December 25th was literally chosen for Jesus's birthday. Um, it's around the solstice in the Northern hemisphere, the the shortest day and the longest night. So literally the darkest hours of the year. The solstice always takes place sometime around December 20th, 22nd, kind of depending on the calendar and the year. And it coincides with Christmas or, you know, celebrating the day that Jesus was born. So why would this be the case? <laughs> well, at the time, um, that the Roman Empire was being converted to Christianity. Roman Emperor Constantine was trying to sell Romans on Christianity, right? And during this time, uh, Romans had their own like solstice festival. It was called Saturnalia. It was December 17th to the 23rd. And this was a raucous festival. I mean, the, the Romans were partying down. <laughs> they were eating, drinking, they were playing practical jokes. They were giving each other gifts. Like they did like that thing where servants and masters would change places. And this party had been raging for centuries during this time period. Um, you know, and Jesus, as a historical figure, was born a commoner. And at that time in the world, regular people didn't really track their birthdays. Only kings tracked their birthdays. So, you know, Jesus could have been born on any day for all we know. And in the Julian calendar that was being used at that time, December 25th marked the day of the winter solstice. And so after that, from that point forward, the sun starts to return, right? The sun comes back, it brings more light into the world. And so Jesus being the king of kings, um, it was chosen that he was born on December 25th, the most kingly day in the calendar. (laughs) Okay. So that was like a 
strategic assignment of days. Uh-huh. Um, it sure was. Yep. Interesting. And so what were the traditions already in play at that time that like, did those get absorbed into Christmas? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it just, um, you know, a lot of the pagan traditions and uh, just kind of like folk ways of being and knowing at that time, they just, they were very syncretic. They would just absorb new things as they came along. And a lot of people don't realize that it was Christmas, not the Samhain or Halloween season that used to be the most creepy time of the year. Um, There are much older, much scarier roots of the Yuletide season. And it was all about surviving the winter, right? Um, And again, we're talking like Europe, we're talking about Europe, like Northern Europe. And some of those traditions were, um, you know, bringing in a Christmas tree or bringing in greenery as a wreath um, because those evergreens represented life everlasting. Like they're more powerful than the the cold. They're more powerful than the snow. So it's a way of using sympathetic magic by bringing those plants into your home. Um, candles were lit and we still, we have sparkling lights that we put on our homes. Like I can drive down my street and probably every third house is decorated with Christmas lights. Right. And this is a a really old tradition representing the return of the sun, right? Like, you know, kind of like putting more light in your life. Again, sympathetic magic. Um, people burned Yule logs. They played cards. They did divination for the upcoming year. Um, they just really kind of focused on, um, keeping their spirits high and cheerful and during a really cold time. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that of like, you know, if you're someone who lives off the land or lives off the things you can grow, the things you can store in a wintry climate, you know, when like Christmas time is kind of still when you have a fair amount of storage crops and there's Uh like some stuff Mm -hmm. still in the roots in the garden you can pull out or like your root cellar hasn't gotten really bare yet so there is still like a like sense that you can have some abundance and feasting but you're kind of like staring down that long tunnel Uh straight on through (laughs) April which is when the first green things will come again and like hoping you'll make it through and you know the old folks will make it through and all of that so it is like I can see how that would be a time when people would need to sort of distract themselves from like the upcoming hardship and scarcity of the of the winter. Um, and <laughs> now you've told me that there were like specific sort of ghosts and monsters of the Christmas season, what has become the yeah, Christmas season. Yeah. So do you want to Christmas- tell us about some of those? <laughs> I know we associate Christmas with like sugar plum fairies and cookies and you know all these like lovely things, but. Um, Yeah, people used to, so one of the biggest parts of Christmas or the Yuletide season um, used to be telling ghost stories, really, like it was bigger than at Halloween. And there's a really um, interesting, you know, theory behind that. It's that that like actually sitting down and telling ghost stories in community helped folks engage in a therapeutic way with a very terrifying reality that it was highly likely that not everyone they knew would survive the winter. Um, It's very similar to uh, today. It's very popular to watch scary movies. We like to scare ourselves in a safe way. Um, You know, and it's also a way to call in like the presence and the memory of those who have gone before, right? To call them back into that circle of community. And, you know, the Victorians in the 1800s were particularly obsessed with with ghost stories. I mean, they were obsessed with death in general, <laughs> but um, they were very obsessed with ghost stories. And I think one of the biggest examples that preserves this tradition is uh, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, right? When, when you know, like all the ghosts of Christmas present, past, and future visit. 
And yeah, that came out in 1843. And e even now it's a line in a really popular holiday song. Um, it's the most wonderful time of the year. If you, if you're familiar with that song, there's a line about scary ghost stories and tales of old glories of Christmases long, long ago. So um, yeah, that was a huge part of Christmas. It was considered like an essential part. That's, that's interesting. That connects with a lot of the like northern traditions that i've heard of um both in northern europe and in like indigenous north american cultures um and turtle island cultures of like there's like a cycle of stories that you tell each winter and like uh -huh. it's the it's the story itself that sometimes that gets you through the winter and it's told in a certain order every year and it carries on the oral tradition of the people and like in in iceland and places like that i'm i'm pretty sure the winter was a time when people would like tell a lot of the stories from the Eddas and things like that it was like that was, yeah. there wasn't much to do in the winter except tell stories that's what kind of got <laughs> you through so it makes sense that like ancestors and spirits would be a big part of that yeah and uh, especially in Europe even to 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 today um it's really more I mean in in North America and the United States we tend to think of December 25th Christmas like that's the big thing and then it's kind of over but um especially in Europe uh, the 12 days of Christmas is still very much like the whole holiday season, right? So you have December 25th, which is the birth of Jesus, and the following 12 days until January 6th, which is Epiphany, or when the wise men um, got to the, the birth scene and were able to like give their gifts and see the baby Jesus and greet him. And so for these 12 days, there's lots of traditions that go on, including like in the British Isles, there's the tradition of wassailing which is basically a raucous singing and dance party where you kind of march outside with all your friends and you go to the apple orchard or the pear orchard and you sing, you dance, you make merry, you pour out drinks to the trees. <laughs> and basically it's to bless the orchard and to appease the spirits of the orchard. So as they're asleep in the winter, hopefully you will have a bountiful harvest once springtime comes again. And uh, in Wales, they have a really cool tradition too. They actually uh, have a skeletal horse puppet called the Mary Cloud. And uh, groups of people will take Mary Cloud from door to door and essentially uh, invite people into a poetry battle. <laughs> And so they will, the inhabitants of the house will battle back and forth with, with, with this skeletal horse until, uh, until the, the horse is finally usually uh, conquered the inhabitants and everybody gets invited in for drinks and food. <laughs> so, that, that is like yeah. pretty creepy. That sounds a lot more like trick or treating than like our Christmas. Yeah. I, I see where you're coming <laughs> from with like the creepy Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a bunch of like winter monsters that are associated with this season too. Do you want to tell us about some of those? Oh my goodness. Uh, actually, there's so many. So I'm just going to give you a uh, a sampling. <laughs> <laughs> of the many, many monsters. Um, so the one that I want to talk about first, and the one that most people have heard of is Krampus. So Krampus, if you can imagine this, is a horned devil beast, uh, walks upright on two legs, covered in fur, carries really loud chains that, that he rattles. Um, and he also has a very big sack and a long forked tongue. And Krampus is basically the consequence of bad behavior. <laughs> and he is, he, he walks around through every town and village on Krampus Noct, which is December 5th. And what he does <laughs> is he collects all of the bad children and um, he basically, he kills them. 
<laughs> so, oh no. <laughs> I, I know. It's a little alarming. We've really escalated from just getting coal in your stocking, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So he basically does that. He comes through, he clears out all the bad children, and he works in tandem with St. Nicholas. And, you know, St. Nicholas is someone who comes and delivers presents to all the other children on December 6th. And St. Nicholas was like the historical figure of St. Nicholas was a wealthy orphan who um, gave away all of his riches. He opened schools. He helped people, um, all of those things. And he was canonized by the Catholic Church in 1466. So he's actually a, a historical personage. Um, and, all, and one of the uh, one of the reasons why we still give gifts today, um, there are other reasons as well, but that's an, a re, you know, a, a, an origin of that practice. But so in the in like in the 1800s before uh, Santa Claus and the Christmas we know became really popular, people used to send Krampus cards to each other instead of Christmas cards, and they would have this like scary figure with his sack of bad kids. Wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and sometimes you would even see like a more feminine like a feminized Krampus, and she would be carrying away a big sack of men who who cheated or who beat their wives. It was kind wow. of like yeah, vengeance. yeah. So this is, yeah, and, this is like the different deities yeah. of of vengeance and different pantheons. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Krampus, you know, disappeared for a while. Um, Krampus has made an appearance in a few modern horror films um, lately. But Krampus did survive in our cultural consciousness. And I think uh, personally, um, he's the Grinch. He's Dr. Seuss's Grinch who oh, comes down to Whoville and steals steals all the uh, steals Christmas. So, you know, it's furry, you know, lives up in a mountain by himself, carries a big bag. Interesting. <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love this idea of Krampus cards. I kind of want to just like randomly create a bunch of cards with scary monsters on them and like send them to people on December 5th and like not explain yeah. it. <laughs> I have a tarot deck, the Usi um, tarot of the pagan under uh, other worlds. And uh, Krampus actually appears on the devil card. Like he's the the figure oh, on that card. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So there is a Krampus light though. You don't have to, I mean, Krampus is, I mean, that's, that's a consequence, right? It's pretty intense. So Krampus light, which is, you know, only slightly better is um, a character called Belschnickel. And uh, that roughly translates to Nicholas and furs. So it refers to St. Nicholas. It's a folk character, um, a human, but wearing like a, a patchwork of old furs. He's got a face all marked up with dirt and soot. And he, um, instead of a big bag and chains, he carries switches, like a parcel oh of, of, of switches <laughs> from a tree. I know, Doesn't I know, it's good. rough, it's rough, <laughs> yeah. And actually, this is a, a folk figure that villagers would take turns playing, right? Like so, oh, just like the way, like the way that we like have Santa in the mall every yeah, year. Have, like, yeah, exactly. They, the, going they to would the have Belschnickel, <laughs> exactly. And actually, you know, it was kind of festive. Belschnickel would come, and he would ask questions. He would give the children like fun little tasks or tests to complete, and he would actually give them candy and other goodies, right? But he would have the switches, <laughs> like as the as the threat of if they were misbehaving, he would take them outside and tie them to a tree. And you can imagine like the, the punishment there. And, but instead of getting murdered, they at least got a chance to get back on the right track. Right. <laughs> that is so a I, little I better. Slowly yeah, improving, call, not quite restorative justice, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I call Belschnickel Krampus late. <laughs> uh <-huh, laughs> you know? Uh <-huh. laughs> um, 
you know, then there's another character, uh, Frau Perchta. So Frau Perchta is from like the Alpine regions, like the mountainous regions in Germany and, and, and Austria. Um, not a lot of people know about her here. Uh, Frau Perchta is uh, also known as, I'm going to try to pronounce this, the Spinstubenfrau or the spinning room lady. Mm. Um, so this figure, she is depicted as an older woman with a beaked nose, like a bird, but it's made of iron. And again, dressed in rags, sometimes has a cane, um, but she always has a very long, sharp knife hidden under her skirt. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, and to please Frau Perchta, you have to have all of your flax spun by 12th night. So by January 6th, because when the Christmas season, it's over, it would, it would be time to set up the big loom and you'd need to start your weaving. So you'd have to have enough thread to be able to start that. Right. Mm. And so this is really not so much for children. This is like for adults. Right. So Frau Perchta, if you has again had punishment for those who had not finished their weaving in time um so basically she might go into your spinning room and set fire to your half spun work just to uh set you back even further or mm -hmm. she might go into your bedroom and take that long knife she's been hiding in her skirt and basically again this is rough basically disembowel you and replace your guts with like rocks and sticks and straw oh no <laughs> that sounds awful <laughs> No, I know. It's so awful. And she's also associated with uh, kind of like a wild hunt um, type of thing mm -hmm. in, in Austria and Germany. So kind of, kind of similar to the wild hunt of the British Isles. If you kind of hear like thumb thundering and rumbling and animals up in the mountains, that's Frau Perchta with all of her spirits that are coming to collect all the, you know, the, the deceased souls and the bad people and things like that. But yeah. Um, <laughs> wow she's like the, so, the goddess of like productivity of spinning and also dead souls yeah yeah so, yeah she's, got a she's up to, to. <laughs> yeah she's up to a lot of stuff you know um she's making sure that you're you you have your have your thread ready so you can weave your cloth and again like it's it's very interesting and, and she doesn't have so much to do with kids she was more for adults so yeah Okay, well, that's a good like set of monsters to start off with for our, our winter monsters, um, just to put little uh, little fear into our Christmas season, I guess, or our Yuletide season. Um, so what I mean, what do you think was like the social function of these monsters? Yeah. Like why why yeah. have these traditions persisted? Yeah. And again, we're, we're kind of approaching this from like a lighthearted perspective, right? Like, I mean, but the, um, there actually is a function behind these monsters. So you have folk characters like Krampus, like Belschnickel, Frau Perchta. Um, they actually were there to keep everyone safe, especially um, vulnerable members of communities like children, um, because, you know, kids in that time, even now, but especially in that time, you can't disobey your parents. You can't wander off into the woods and get lost because you will die, basically. Like you really did have to do what your parents told you and and learn how to survive. So these, these characters, um, you know, they're coming in as these scary monsters, but they're it's really more about just being punished for being naughty. I mean, that's not really the thing. They're providing like a real valid service to the community. You know what I mean? It almost strikes me as like a like 
dark kind of clowning or something like that. You know, people are like dressing up as Belschnickel and like having these switches and stuff like that. There's like a, yeah, there's like this external symbol and character that can like perform this role to like sort of herd people towards productive behavior, I guess. I don't know. The whole yeah. like, you better finish your spinning thing seems very strict, but um <laughs> But, uh, you know, there's a function to it as well. It's like there's mm-hmm. there's the urgency that comes from capitalism and there's the urgency that comes from like the cycles of nature and the needs of your community. And it's like these sound like maybe almost a little halfway in between in some ways, which makes sense for like yeah. the time period in which they emerged in the culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's like we talked about with telling of the ghost stories. It's a therapeutic way to engage with some heavy concepts, um, but in a safer manner you know mm-hmm. so um it was just really interesting and there are far i mean there's there are many many monsters basically um you know every different region uh, all over I, w- I would guess i would guess all over the world but as you know as certainly in northern europe has a local uh, winter monster of some sort uh-huh wow that's that's fascinating so so you said that saint nicholas is one source of our gifting tradition which is like actually really cool to think about that like one actual historical person who you know sounds like they were pretty darn wealthy which helps but like that the the actions of one person to like (laughs) Mm -hmm. to redistribute their wealth kind of became you know a a much larger tradition of of gifting at this time of year um but you said that there were some other like origins of the gifting tradition you want to tell us about those well one that i know uh, in particular uh, is la bafana from Italy, uh, La Bufana is known as the Christmas witch. <laughs> and in Italian folklore, uh, folklore La Bufana is um, an older woman who delivers gifts to children throughout Italy on Epiphany Eve or the uh, the night of January 5th. And um, there's a lot of different, you know, kind of origin stories, depending on who you ask. But most of them um, say that uh, La Bufana, similar to the wise men, saw the star uh, in the east or, you know, that led the wise men to Jesus. And La Bufana saw the star as well and knew that there was something important happening and wanted to be there and wanted to bring a gift for the baby. And um, as La Bufana, but La Bufana, unfortunately, was not as good at navigating as the wise men <laughs> and got lost and had to search all over to try to find the baby Jesus. And so as she flew over the skies with her broom, she dropped like presents and candy that she had intended to bring to Jesus. It dropped all over Italy. And so all oh of the gosh. children everywhere, <laughs> you know, were able to get gifts, not, not just the baby Jesus. And she brought her broom, um, folklore says, because she wanted, she knew that Jesus was born in a stable and that Mary would be very busy. And so she was going to help clean up. Oh. basically help help sweep and tidy uh so you know very thoughtful honestly yeah we all need a <laughs> yeah. like christmas tidying helper that's great yeah like a, <laughs> a, a candy bestowing tidying up christmas witch right and so labafana is um it said that her home is a small commune called urbania a small town and it's in Italy. And um, every year, though, there's a really big festival there. And I've seen pictures of this on the internet. So, you know, if you want to go and, and look it up, or maybe I'll try to find a YouTube and stick it in our show notes. 
Um, it's really cool. There's a huge festival there that celebrates uh, La Bufana uh, around the time, you know, around the time Epiphany Eve that she would be flying. And there are like 30 to 50,000 people that come to this festival. Wow. And many of them dress up as La Bufana. So there's hundreds of Bufanas there. If you can imagine all these, all these folks dressed as witches, they're in like colorful rags. They all have brooms that they're swinging around. They oftentimes put bells or jingles on their clothing and they just line the streets. They juggle, they dance, the kids, <laughs> like it's this big festival, which I think is so cool. Um, and in fact, I once was in Italy during the, the 12 days of Christmas, right? Like during that time. And uh, in particular, I was in Assisi and I was visiting the the huge like monastery there that where St. Fra Francis of Assisi was located. And um, they have a, I don't know, a really big, like larger than life-size nativity scene outside, right? And actually it was funny to note because um, near the three wise men in the nativity scene, there was an old lady with a broom, <laughs> like in the nativity there in front of the, you know, the, the church. So it was just really, it's really interesting. It's not something you see in the United States. You don't see the the Christmas witch hanging out with Christmas the three witch. wise men. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Again, it's like another scene that sounds more like our Halloween than our Christmas. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I also I wanted to end on a positive note <laughs> after yes, all the, the, the monsters. Thanksgiving witch, not the <laughs> deadly monsters. Yeah, we we'll, yeah. we've got lots of lots of material here, and and the it's a good reminder that that the that holiday season did used to be those twelve days too. I think that's something mm -hmm. that has really faded. Um, in the modern culture, um, yeah. at least in, a, in and it was America, mostly it was mostly for celebrating. But the the only thing was you did not want to have a uh, it was bad luck to have any children born during those 12 days. Hmm. So it was not necessarily um, looked upon as lucky, but I don't know. I was born on December 28th. I was born during the 12 days of Christmas. <laughs> I I don't feel particularly cursed. I, I actually love my birthday. I think it's really fun, you know, because we start celebrating around solstice and we just keep on. Uh, the spirit keeps going until New Year's Eve and, and I love it. It doesn't bother me. Nice. <laughs> And are, is there anything from these traditions that we've talked about today that you like incorporate into your family's celebrations? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, we definitely do a, a Yule log in our house every year. We do, um, we, I, we have a live Christmas tree, which we bring in and decorate with all the lights and all the ornaments and, and our Yule, Yule log tradition that we do, the, the Christmas tree for this year provides the Yule log for next year. So we don't actually just you oh, know, wow. get rid of the tree after the season. We take it down, we cut, you know, chop it up, we dry it out over the summer, and then we bring it in to do our Yule fire on the solstice. And we, so we wrap up the, the logs in like uh, red, green, and white ribbons. And then we attack, we like take little pieces of paper and we write down like all the wishes we have for the following year. Like, you know, <laughs> I'd like a raise. I'd like to travel to here. I'd like good health and well-being. you know, like all the things. And once it's, you know, we tuck them in the ribbons and once it's good and full of wishes, we put it in the fireplace and we send those wishes up in a, you know, blazing Yule fire. So so yeah, we definitely do that. Um, and we give each other gifts. <laughs> what about you? Um, I mean, I feel like my whole adult life, I've been trying to like figure out what my holiday traditions are. I mean, like I was raised with this Christmas stuff. And so I still do a little bit of that with my family, at, at least from afar. But like, 
you know, the solstice has a lot more meaning for me and yeah. try yeah. to have like, so, you know, uh, some reflective time, journaling, ritual, spell casting, whatever feels right that year um, around the solstice. But I, I also don't always have like a formal ritual for it. Sometimes it's just like something that I'm contemplating all week on my daily walks in the forest and things like that. Just a more general yeah. like awareness of the turning of the wheel. But I do very, very often, most years do um, a like yearly tarot reading around January 1st. Oh, yeah. And yeah. like draw one yeah, that's, tarot that's card That's very traditional. Month. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah, sounds like it's tying into some earlier traditions, and and I know that like you know the the pagan New Year according to the Celtic tradition is like more Samhain time, more Halloween, but mm-hmm. it feels like a a nice way to honor the fact that everyone else thinks the New Year is January first, and and just you well, know yeah, it, a yeah. lot of our cycles are based on that, and to sort of do my divination each time that year feels like a way to sort of be a part of that energy. Yeah, I feel like as modern pagans, uh, a lot of our cycles kind of overlap because we're we're kind of living, we're following like a, a nature cycle and older holidays, but we're also, you know, overlapping with kind of the the cycle that the overculture is also <laughs> engaged in. So, um, and we just uh, kind con- of, continues yeah. to be syncretic. <laughs> it doesn't mm-hmm, end. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. Yeah, that's really cool. So I hope you enjoyed all of that info. Like I said, there is a ton more out there and um, I'll have some links in our show notes to where I sourced the material, the facts for, for today's discussion. But I think if you're interested in it, I just love folklore. Folklore is, is so fun. Thank you for giving us the down low on all the winter monsters, Jamie. I appreciate sharing your knowledge. Yeah, this wintry Um, child loves her winter monsters. So yes, definitely. Maybe it's because you're born that time of year. It Um, could be. Do you do you want to share what you've got coming up before we sign off? Yeah, let's do that. Um, I mean, I could go first if you want. Sure. Um, so I think I've already let folks know I'm presenting at the Botanica Obscura Conference next year. It's a, an online event, so pretty accessible wherever you are in the world. And it's for all of us plant magic nerds. And that's uh, taking place in March, March 8th through the 10th, to 2024. And ticket sales uh, start this month. Um, details are online at botanicaobscuraconference.com. I also just found out that I'll be presenting at Paganicon also uh, again in March. It's March 15th to the 17th, and it's near the Twin Cities in Minnesota. So it's going to be cold. I'm going to have to pack my boots and my jacket. (laughs) Um, And I will be presenting um, two things, a death precincting presentation and also a new presentation about Hades. Um, Details Uh for that are at tcpaganpride.org. And um, it's getting closer and closer to the official drop date of Hades, Myth, Magic, and Modern Devotion from Llewellyn. Um, The book is actually scheduled to start shipping on February 8th. That means it's on press right now as we speak, which is incredibly exciting. That's so great. (laughs) And we'll be headed to warehouses in January and then out to the people in February. And you can pre-order that if you want. Just go to Llewellyn.com. Very good. Um, well, we've also got some collaborations coming up uh, this this winter and this spring. Um, so if people want to join us for our Zoom module class uh, about three months long on death pre-stixing, tending the threshold of transition, um, enrollment is open for that. 
Um, it's at wayoftheweaver.com. Um, if you go to programs and death priest sixing, you can sign up there. Um, we've got a pretty good cohort going already. And, um, you know, this is for folks who are interested in the magical skills of tending transition, both of like literal death of other humans, of honoring the animals and plants that die to make our food and of strategizing, like, how do we give a good death to capitalism? How do we give a good death to racism? Like these sort of like larger shifts that we're trying to create in our society. Um, and just how do we like live in this sort of late stage capitalism uh, chaos time that is filled with so much uncertainty and, and where death feels a little closer and how do we like navigate mm -hmm. that with good spiritual mm -hmm. grounding? Um, so join us for that if you want. It's going to be lots of fun. I think the first day of classes is January 7th. So sign up before then. Oh, it's the 8th. Yeah. Monday. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah, it's Monday nights. Um, and then uh, next May, we're, uh, we're going to be opening up another Spider Threads cohort, which is our like live group um, of studying magical skills together um, with like in-person retreats in Vermont. Um, so that's going to be a deep dive into all kinds of rich topics, a lot of like practical time, a lot of community bonding. Um, you'll get to meet the most amazing people. Our weavers are just the best mm -hmm. people. I look forward to yeah. our weekend so much. Um, Me too. <laughs> and so that'll start next May. I don't think we've opened enrollment for that yet, but we're working on it. Not yet. So, and you can save the date if you just want to taste. Uh, Weaver Camp is going to be June 27th to 30th next uh, in 2024. Um, so that's if you just want to come for one weekend, you can come for one Weaver Camp. If you want to come for a whole retreat series with lots of study and connection, that's the Spider Threads cohort. Yeah. So that's what we got coming up. Yeah, I'm excited. It, 2024 is going to be a really good year for Weaver events. I'm really excited to see everybody and to be in magical circles. So. <laughs> All right. Well, good holidays to you and to everyone who's listening. And yes, uh, I think it's time yes. to roll the credits. Yes, let's roll the credits. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. You can learn more about Way of the Weaver programs at www.wayoftheweaver.com. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. It also helps if you write us a review. Subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a new episode. They'll be coming out on or around the 13th of every month. Our theme music is by Fern Maddie, and you can find more from her at fernmaddiemusic.com. Remember that magic is real, present all around us, and a profound tool for justice and transformation. Use it well.